please, as Mr. Waylau comes forward to Deuteronomy chapter 27. So let's read from Deuteronomy 27 and give our full attention to the reading and hearing of God's infallible word again. Deuteronomy 27, beginning at verse 1. And Moses, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you this day. And it shall be on the day when ye shall pass over Jordan unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, that thou shalt set thee up great stones, and plaster them with plaster. And thou shalt write upon them all the words of this law, when thou art passed over, that thou mayest go in unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, a land that floweth with milk and honey, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee. Therefore it shall be, when ye be gone over Jordan, that ye, shall, uh, that ye shall set up these stones which I command you this day in Mount Ebal, and thou shalt plaster them with plaster. And there, shall, uh, there shalt thou build an altar unto the Lord thy God, an altar of stones. Thou shalt not lift up any iron tool upon them. Thou shalt build... Uh, the altar of the Lord thy God of whole stones, and thou shalt offer burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord thy God. And thou shalt offer peace offerings, and, and shalt eat there, and rejoice before the Lord thy God. And thou shalt write upon the stones all the words of this law very plainly. And Moses and the priests of uh, the the priests, the Levites, spake unto all Israel, saying, Take heed and hearken, O Israel. This day thou art become the people of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt therefore obey the voice of the Lord thy God and do his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. And Moses charged the people the same day, saying, These shall stand upon Mount Gerizim to bless the people. When ye are come over the Jordan, Simeon and Levi and Judah and Issachar and Joseph and Benjamin, and these shall stand upon the Mount Ebal to curse Reuben, Gad and Asher and Zebulun, Dan and Naphtali. And the Levites shall speak and say unto all the men of Israel with a loud voice, Cursed be the man that maketh any graven or molten image, an abomination unto the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and putteth it in a secret place. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed be he that setteth light by his father or his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that maketh the blind to wander out of the way, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that perverteth the judgment of the stranger, fatherless and widow, and all the people shall say, 
Amen. Cursed be he that lieth with his father's wife, because he uncovereth his father's skirt. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that lieth with any manner of beast. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that lieth with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that lieth with his mother-in-law. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that smiteth his neighbor secretly. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that taketh reward to slay an innocent person. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that conformeth not to not all that conformeth not all the words of this law to do them, and all the people shall say, Amen. May God bless the reading and hearing of his most holy word. As we begin to look at this passage, uh, we might recognize a difference in division between the two chapters. Um, I would tend to argue for uh, you know, the difference in uh, division. Uh, I agree with several commentators who understand Deuteronomy 17 as intricately connected with Deuteronomy 26, 16 through 19. Uh, we must understand that this ceremony uh, between Ebal and Gerizim is presented with a, within a particular context. The children of Israel are a covenant nation. Uh, the Lord has delivered them his statutes and judgments to keep and to do with all their heart and soul. The people have avouched the Lord to be their God. And the Lord hath avouched that they are his pe- peculiar people and has given them promises that by his grace they might walk according to his commandments. And so it is within that context from Deuteronomy 26 that we now come to understand this ceremony as they enter into the land. Because we, are, we as Christians, are redeemed from, by Christ from all iniquity and received to be his peculiar people, we are under obligation to be zealous for good works, as we read about in Titus 2.14. The other thing I want to say by way of introduction is it's also critical for us to recognize that there is significance to the place that this ceremony is actually going to happen. It's being commanded here in Moses. It will be fulfilled in Joshua 8. And this is by way of encouragement uh, for all of us as Christians to, to do our introductory studies. When you come across a place or a person, it's good to look up where that place or person is mentioned. Because oftentimes you'll be able to glean some gems from a little bit more digging. And this is one that I think that might help you. We have Mount Ebal and Gerizim. We have uh, two mountains situated next to each other. Mount Ebal is on the north. Mount Gerizim is on the south, somewhat to the southwest. And between these two mountains is a valley. And in that valley you will find a city called Shechem. You may remember Shechem, especially from the book of Genesis. But there is particularly one reference to Shechem that I think might uh, give you uh, some, some praiseworthy content. Shechem is that place that Abraham, when he first entered into the land of promise, uh, was, uh, he settled and where God promised him in, in Genesis 12, I believe it's around about verse 16, 
Unto thy seed will I give this land. And so now some 470 years later, Moses is commanding the people, and it will be realized in Joshua, that this small family of Abraham has now turned into a multitude and now has come into possession of all that the Lord has promised them in the conquering of the land, temporally speaking, when I say all that the Lord has promised them. And they are to stand in that place and avouch the Lord again to be their God, that they will follow all that he has commanded and that they will take possession of the land that flows with milk and honey. We see the promise and we see the fulfillment. And that is to be tangible to the eyes of the people as they perform the ceremony. And we see, again, this, this ceremony is actually performed by Joshua at the end of Joshua 8, 30 through 35, uh, after the conquering of Jericho and Ai. Okay, so dividing this up into two sections, 1 through 10 is our first section, and we see that Moses commands the people to this ceremony with both the elders and the priests. And so we note that it is such a blessing to have those in authority join together mutually to command the people uh, under their charge to obey the Lord. What a blessing it is to have those in the church, in the state, and in the family to command those underneath their charge to obey the Lord and to instruct them in all righteousness. The first thing that the people were to do as they approached under the ceremony was to take stones, natural stones, unworked, and to lay these stones out in such a way, probably in the form of a wall, although it's not explicit in the passage that I could find as to what structure it was to be, probably a wall, that they could lay these stones and plaster over them to make a smooth writing surface. And then we read that they are to write all the words of the law upon the wall. That's the first portion of this ceremony. Uh, They were not to embellish They were not to decorate. They were not to chisel to make it more ornate. Instead, it was not to be in any way devised by the cunning of man. Um, And what we understand by this is that the law of God has the glory in itself. The glory that God has in his word doesn't need the embellishment of man. The work of man would simply be to diminish rather than enhance the glory which the word has. And so let the law stand alone. And let nothing else detract from the inherent glory that it has. Natural stones, plaster, and words. And this is where we we have an implication by this, that the doctrines and commandments of men have no place in the church. Let the word of God stand alone. Beside this wall, the people are commanded to build an altar unto the Lord of natural stones as well. Upon that altar, they were commanded to offer whole whole burnt offerings and peace offerings. Okay, so the people of God, what we have to understand is these two things are brought together. You have the wall, um, for lack of a better word, the wall of the law of God and then the altar on the other side. And these two are brought next to each other. Why? Because... 
The people of God can never look with comfort upon the law of God or expect a blessing to be spoken unless we stand in the grace of God. And so the law is placed right beside the altar so that both might be brought into our conception. The whole burnt offering is one that through representation is the, is the offer, offering himself as a cons- consecrated unto the Lord by the means of another, right? Vicariously, through the blood of that sacrifice which is offered. And it's by that blood of the sacrifice that is altered that he is accepted before the Lord. And then you have the peace offerings added unto that that show the communion and fellowship that we have with God where we can sit and dine one with another in the presence of the Lord with the priests as his people. And these are to be offered upon this occasion. All right, so then as we go into the second part, uh, verses 11 through 25, we have details regarding the ceremony that was to be performed upon the two mountains. Upon Mount Gerizim, half of the people uh, were to gather and pronounce blessings of the law upon the people. Notice how it's very particular. It says pronouncing blessings upon the people. But when you hear about the cursings, it just says to pronounce the cursings. It doesn't say upon the people. Because it is untoward for any of God's people to be found among those who are cursed. And so when you hear the cursings, you hear that man, that man, that man, as an exception rather than the rule. Okay, so upon Mount Gerizim, you have half the people. You have Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Benjamin, and Joseph. I want you to note that all of these are sons of either Leah or Rachel. Sons of Jacob's natural wives. Right? Those ones who he first took to his bosom. The only exception to this are Reuben and Zebulun. They are listed along with the other sons of the, the two servants, Bilhah and Zilpah, on Mount Ebal. Okay? Why? Well, Reuben, the firstborn of Leah, lost the right of primogeniture by defiling his father's bed. He's on the mountain of cursings. Zebulun was simply the youngest. Leah had a lot of children. Okay? He's simply the youngest, and he's placed over there so that they're divided evenly. But what this is to represent for you is is very similar to what we see in Galatians chapter 4, that we have the son of the free woman, which is the son of grace, and you have the son son of the slave woman, which is the son of the curse, and the people, uh, the tribes are divided according to this, symbolically, to show that there are those of grace, and then there are those of flesh. Not to say that everybody in the six tribes that were over on Ebal were in any way in danger. This is symbolic. All right, so as, uh, as we see these tribes on the two sides, one, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, we also have the Levitical priests that were in the middle. And the Levitical priests were to pronounce the law, and then the people of God were to give their consent by the corporate amen. Notice right here we see that it is the priests and the minister's responsibility to keep knowledge. Malachi 2.7 and to proclaim the whole counsel of God, Acts 27, 27. 
Not only must they declare the comforts of the gospel and draw the people by hope in the blessings and promises, but they also must instruct the people in the fear of the Lord and, the tre- and tremble at the curses. And, as the people of God, we are not simply to be passive in the hearing of God's word, but we must be active and engaged with the testimony of the Lord in our own soul. We must rejoice in blessing, tremble at threatenings, take hope in promises, and praise the revelation of our Lord's being and character every time we hear the word. And this is represented in the fact that after every statement, Amen! Amen! Brethren, when we hear the word of God here, are we saying in our hearts and in our minds, or perhaps with our lips, Amen! Amen to all the word of God, not just those parts that are comfortable. In this passage, the only curses are explicitly stated. There were blessings and curses on that day, but only the curses are explicitly stated. And there are 12, and these are meant to be a representative selection of all that God has commanded. So briefly, just running through those curses, we have the first curse, which is those who violate the second commandment by making or keeping any graven image. I want you to notice here that it says, uh, it speaks particularly those who put it in a secret place. And by that, we ought to understand that the eyes of the Lord are everywhere so that even though men may seek by means to hide their sin, there is no escape from the curse of the law by any means that we can generate of ourselves. You can't hide your sin from the Lord. It's another way of saying it. The second curse is against those who would violate the fifth commandment. By setting light, setteth light, it's not meaning turning on the light by your, your parents. That's not what it means. What it means is that you are, uh, you are holding them in contempt. That is, you are not considering and honoring what your parents have to teach you. And this is, you know, the two great means. The first one is idolatry tends to lead us away from our God. And God has placed authorities over us, such as our mother and father, to keep us in the way. And so these are set as the second and the fifth commandment right at the top, the first cursings and blessings, so that we might understand that in them is comprehended the whole law. And he will proceed particularly with several others, and to the end, that all the law is comprehended in the twelfth. We have uh, the third cursing against those who would defraud their neighbor of their inheritance, enlarge their own portion. The fourth is against those who would maliciously direct their neighbor out of the way of godliness under the pretense of directing them in the way. Uh, uh, Let's see here. We have the fifth is against those who would pervert judgment in any way and for any reason. The sixth through the ninth are heinous violations against the seventh commandment, both in incestuous relationships and bestiality. The tenth and the eleventh cursings are two violations of the sixth commandment. One is to murder a man in secret, and one is to do so under the color of law. Right? That is, to pervert judgment by hire or bribe to the end that the righteous should be put to death. And then the twelfth, the Lord comprehends all the words of his most holy law, such that those sins are not expounded in detail, any violation of God's whole law is considered under the curse. And to each of these, they are to say, Amen. Amen. 
All right, thus ends the reading of God's most holy word.